Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by a teaching pastor, Ian Simpkins, as we continue our series, Love Does. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us at the Yellow Box on Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you? Is it sappy to say that I missed you? It's good to see your faces again. Um, I just want to jump in with a word of prayer before we uh, begin the teaching. So would you pray with me? God, thank you for the gift of another day. Uh, we know that we're not owed or promised any of that, but breath in our lungs is such a miracle. I'm thankful, God, as we just sang, that you are not far, um, but you are close, you are near. So God, I pray that regardless of the kind of week or weekend we're having, uh, you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, and that you would speak to us in the ways that only you can. We thank you, we love you, and we pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. So I thought we'd start with a, a moment of audience transparency. Are you ready for some of that? You don't know what it is, so just not an agreement. Perfect. Uh, quick show of hands. How many of us struggle to do some of the mundane, boring, everyday tasks around our house? Just, okay, keep those hands up. Look around you. You see the ones not raising their hands? The Bible has a word for them. They're called liars. Uh, <laughs> we all struggle in some way, shape, or form with the mundane, commonplace tasks of our daily lives. Here are a couple that uh, I think of right off the bat. Um, okay, so how many of you, this is a familiar sight? Just the panic, right, of realizing, I don't care how old you are, when you look over and see that there's two squares left, we all turn into children, right? (laughs) Honey, please, someone help. Who does this? Monsters do this. That's who does this. People who step back and thought, two squares ought to be enough, right? That's that's plenty. Um, Or how about about this site? How many of you have gone into the fridge and pulled out uh, this? Right? And if you call it out, what does the culprit end up saying? It's not empty, right? It's not, that's all backwash, by the way, right? We can all agree that's grosser than I want it to be. I'm, I'm sorry. You call that out and we're immediately defensive. No, 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 no. You took the last gulp. And why do we do that? So that we don't have to throw it away, right? We hate having to do the small menial tasks. In fact, how many of you have seen this picture, right? Trash is already overflowing. You take the juice, you get one of these, all of a sudden, you become a WWE wrestler, right? And you're throwing an elbow, and you're trying to squish one more thing. Anyone guilty of this? What happens if over weeks and months we try to cram one more thing? Has anyone felt the vacuum seal power of a trash bag filled over and over and over again, past capacity, it's impossible. And these are tasks that I think all of us can relate to around our houses or our communities or our apartments and our places of employment. We all, at some level, struggle with a chronic case of task avoidance. And I think we can laugh at these actions, but let, let me ask you this. How many issues in marriages and families among roommates and friends can be traced back to the resistance to serve. Because that's really what it is, right? It's not really about toilet paper or juice or trash cans. It's a resistance to serve one another. 
Now, it, it may start off as unwashed dishes or two squares left of toilet paper, but, but doesn't that sometimes kind of grow to a real-life struggle to serve the one that did that to you? That can take root in our heart in a way that nothing else does. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So today we're continuing our series called Love Does, and what we want to talk about throughout this series is what does it mean to really love? Maybe you're asking, what is love? <clears throat> Baby, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. No more, right? We, we know that it's not just a feeling of deep affection. We know that it's not a dopamine rush to the brain. We know that it's not even crispy bacon, although that's probably close. One of Jesus' close friends, John, writes it this way. He says that God is love. Not that he's loving or that he can point us to love, that he knows a thing or two about love, that he is love. Do you want to know what love is? Look at God. And in Jesus, we see something profound. It's this, that love is active. It's intentional. It moves. It's lived out in specific ways. In short, love does. It's not passive. Now, Jesus was always modeling this, and it really didn't matter the context. He modeled this in large crowds, but he also modeled this with his closest friends. He, he was always reaching out and touching the leper who had perhaps not been touched in years. He's always crouching down low. He's getting in close. Jesus is deeply active. And John, the same John, writes, I think, one of the most beautiful portrayals of this Type of service, and the story starts in John 13. It says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. If you're following along at home, underline that part to the end there. One possible Greek translation of this expression is this, that he loved them to the full extent. So Jesus is facing his impending arrest and crucifixion, and in this moment, he's loving to the end with the full extent of this expression of love. So how does he do that? Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Okay, so quick pause here. Jesus is about to uh, fully extend and express the fullness of his love, and who's awkwardly in the room, right? Everyone's favorite traitor, Judas. If you're not familiar with the story, uh, Judas is gonna sell out Jesus for cab fare, and, uh, and he's in the room with Jesus here. Even though Jesus is about to express the fullness of his love, which I think communicates something profound for all of us this morning, it's this. Serving isn't about what the other person deserves. Write that down, circle it, underline it, highlight it. Serving is not ultimately about what that other person deserves. Okay, so real talk, how many of us have said or at least thought something like this before. Uh, I'm not doing the dishes. I did it the last five times. Anyone? 
No, 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 no. It's her turn to take out the garbage. Absolutely not. Right? That mold will take care of itself. We're just going to leave that there. That's not a problem. She hasn't carried her own. He isn't doing what he said he'd do. These are easy patterns to fall into, aren't they? Now, I moved uh, just a few months ago uh, to Naperville, and uh, we all know what happens when you have to move. Uh, You become that annoying friend that starts to ask everyone with a truck for help, right? Because my car is roughly the size of a cereal box, and uh, so I began thinking through the people that I could call, the people that I could ask to help me, and you know what's kind of embarrassing? As I was kind of running through this list, I kept saying things like, I... I don't think I could ask him because I didn't help him the last time he moved. I don't think I could, I don't think I could call her. That they needed me to watch their kids and I was out of town. I wasn't able to help. I found myself reducing serving to a system of obligation. Isn't that wild? Like think of a time that someone like invited you over for dinner and as you're leaving you're like, oh, we'll have to have you over sometime and then you never do. And then you see them in the grocery store like three months later and you have to duck in the weird organic food aisle, right? They extended grace and hospitality and it somehow becomes this then system of obligation. And then we end up feeling guilt for not inviting them back into our home. Does anyone here find that sometimes it's easier to do random acts of kindness for total strangers than it is the people close to us? Isn't that strange? For total strangers, random acts of kindness seems to come fairly easy, but the people that we live with, the people that we know the best, we often struggle to do those small, simple tasks. Here's why I think that is. I'd venture to guess that somewhere in our past, those friends hurt us, or they disappointed us, or they let us down. And we often think that by serving them, we're setting ourselves up to possibly be hurt again. If I extend this and they don't reciprocate, or if this doesn't go the way that I thought that it would, my feelings will be hurt. My heart will be broken. Jesus didn't serve his friends because they deserved it. Jesus, the very essence of his being, his character, he he serves. So let's read on. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, so so picture this. Hours before his crucifixion. Hours before he would go to the cross to die. Jesus Rabbi, the Messiah, gets down low and washes his disciples' feet. When I first read this, honestly, my first thought was, couldn't he have been doing something more important with his time, right? Like, couldn't they be, at least like sat in a circle and shared like, okay, what was everyone's favorite memories from the last three years? Huh? Loaves and fishes, I hear you, that was a good one. Walked on water, pretty spooky, but I feel you, Right? Or maybe not like a share time. What about like one last like epic miracle? Like with glitter and unicorns or whatever. Like some kind of like finale. Like yeah, Jesus has driven his stake in the ground. This is who he is and what he's come to accomplish. But he doesn't do any of that. He gets down low and he washes their feet. Now we, I think, miss a lot of the context because most of us in here are wearing shoes, right? Most of us. 
In this age, uh, this did not exist. And so they were wearing sandals at best, and they traveled mostly by foot and without getting too gross. That was not only mud, but that's bugs and dung and a whole lot of other things kind of wedged and caked in there. This was not like, oh, just a quick uh, wash of the foot, oh, and then a holy kiss, and you were off on our way. This is lowly, disgusting, degrading work. In fact, in the ancient world, for a teacher to wash the feet of his students would be absurd. It would be absolutely unthinkable. But what I think Jesus wants his disciples to know and he wants us to know is this. Serving can be most impactful when it's commonplace. Not always, but I think often serving can be most impactful when it's commonplace. Now, for some of us, that's really difficult to grasp. I remember in college, there was a girl that I really liked, and so I wanted to kind of I wanted to kind of have this big grand gesture of how much I liked her. And so what I did was I, I stayed up all night long um, writing puns on sticky notes um, about her car, like various parts of the car. Like I had one that said, I'd never tire of you and put it on her tire, right? <laughs> that's the correct response. I'm so sorry you had to hear that. <laughs> These are the jokes. I don't know what to tell you. Um, so I spent all night long writing those out, on like 150 of these, and then snuck out to the parking lot and just caked her car in post-it notes with what I thought were these hilarious jokes. And the next morning, I see her at the cafeteria, and she doesn't say anything. And then at lunchtime, I see her at the cafeteria, and now I think she's avoiding me with good reason, right? <laughs> and then finally, I thought, did you get the, the sticky notes that I left you? And she went, oh yeah, thanks. I was like, oh. <laughs> Oh yeah, thanks. That's pun gold, lady. Like that was, that was some of the finest pun sticky note vandalism that's ever existed. And what she said to me was, I would have rather you just spent time with me. And I still struggle with that. I love the big grand gesture. You know where I struggle? It's taking out the trash. It's mowing the lawn. Is doing laundry, putting it from the washer into the dryer. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's the small things. We can do candles and horse-drawn carriages. We can do these big romance. It's so easy for so many of us to do those things, but it's the small, commonplace that we struggle. Every single day, we have opportunities to carry out these small, simple acts. My buddy has a sign over his kitchen sink, and it reads, uh, everyone wants a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. <laughs> And I've always so loved that. It's true. We all want revolution. We all want to see the mighty move of God in our lives, in our families, in our communities. But when it comes to the simple, mundane, commonplace tasks, or maybe even the lowly, possibly degrading, gross tasks, well, those are a whole lot easier to avoid. Mother Teresa once said, uh, there are no great acts, only Small acts with great love. And man, when I first read that, that resonated so deeply with me. There are no great acts, only small acts with great love. What are some of those small acts? Maybe it's listening to a neighbor who is struggling. Yeah, even the weird one, right? Just sitting and being with them. Maybe it's helping a mom with young kids load groceries into a car Maybe it's getting up early to drive a friend to the airport. 
Sure, the, the big dramatic acts have their place, but most often we find ourselves in the midst of everydayness, don't we? Most of our lives are not like the end of a lifetime movie, right? The strings aren't always playing. It isn't always this majestic, magical moment. It's often the commonplace things that make the biggest impact. So how, how does Jesus want us to respond? This is what he says in verse 12 to 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. You understand what I have done for you, he asked them. And likely the response was, we have no idea what you just did. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So imagine hearing that. Some in the room probably still thought Jesus' role is to overthrow the Roman Empire, right? This is our earthly king. Let's crush some Roman skulls. And then this teacher, this rabbi, this Messiah gets down low and washes feet, steps back and says, do you, know, do you know what I just did there? I'm setting for you an example. What I just did, you're to do the same. Jesus is modeling in the most unassuming way what it means to follow him. He didn't talk about serving. He didn't write like a series of blog posts. He didn't even make like little bracelets for everyone that says, foot washer, yeah. Team Jesus, that's how you'll know. He got down on his knees and he showed us that love serves. You know what it says here at the end? It says, I have set for you an example. Now, that word example is really fascinating because it was actually an educational term. So what would happen um, in a lot of parts of the world is uh, instructors would have text on like a, a tablet of some sorts and then there was a sort of tracing paper that would go over it and to learn the language, to learn to write these characters, um, the students would then trace the letters. They would trace the outlines in learning how to write these words. So Jesus says, here's the thing you trace. But here's the beauty of that invitation. He says, I've laid for you an example, but you get to color it in. I've given you the contour lines, but you add color and vibrancy by the ways you love one another. He says, here's the guide, here's the template, but the, the way that you work that out and the way that you live that out and the way that we do that together, the possibilities are endless. Think about it this way. When we serve, we make the God who is love visible. When we serve, we make the God that is love. He is love. When we do that, we begin to color in between the lines. We begin to bring out the character of who he is. We fill the pattern and we make God more visible. Have you ever thought about it that way? Through small, everyday tasks, God has made more visible. Every time we have coffee with someone who's lonely, every time we mow the yard for a neighbor, every time we lend a car to someone whose car is broken, and yes, even when we do the dishes, we make this God who is love visible, present, clear, 
these acts of service make God visible because they say to others, you matter. You matter to God and you matter to me. Do we realize that? When we love people with our actions, when we move out of our comfort zones to serve them, we declare you matter. You're significant. You are not alone. How desperately does our world need to hear this? How desperately do we need to hear that? Has anyone ever been the recipient of a small act of kindness? How how many of us walked away feeling like, I haven't felt seen in so long? What, What a gift that moment was to be seen, to be served, to be cared for. When we do that, we make the God who is love visible. So here's, here's the challenge. I, wa- I want you to think about your closest relationships. This is not necessarily the random acts of kindness for a total stranger. This isn't even necessarily hopping on a plane or driving to some remote location. These are the people in your sphere of influence right now, the people that would call you friend, brother, father, spouse, sister, neighbor, coworker. Who are those people? What small acts can you enact this week to make the God of love visible? John Wesley says it this way. He says, do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can at all times you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. What would happen? I mean, look around you. Look at the people in this room. What would happen if all of us today committed to those small acts of kindness with the people that we know best? What kind of ripple effect would that send by unassuming small acts of commonplace, everyday love? What difference would it make in our families, in our friendships, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods? Imagine the relationships that could be restored, the healing that would result, the hope that would be renewed. As, As we leave here, May may we be a people who remember that love is not passive. It does not sit back. It's not on the sidelines. And thank God he didn't wait on the sidelines. But he got in the game and he showed us not just what love could look like. He showed us what love is by offering himself. He is our example. He is the pattern. May you and I follow that example and love others as he has loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just the gift of each other. Thank you that you loved us enough to not just simply instruct us, but to set for us an example, to model it for us, that you're not shouting off on some distant planet, God, but that you are close and present and intimate So for those of us in this room right now, God, that are struggling with task avoidance, we know exactly the things in our life that are difficult for us to do. Would you give us the the energy and the courage, the clarity to see just how much you love those around us and may we serve them with that kind of love. Help us to make you visible in the small, everyday, commonplace ways. We thank you, we love you, we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.